0: environment for theology and life has shifted. Old concepts and the analysis is constructed from them are no longer valid. By simply using old models of the functioning of things we become ideologically blind, hence we need to stay in motion and create new concepts specific to our intuitive experience of being alive while anticipating the future. In this podcast, Techno Theology, Barry Taylor and I will explore the environment in which theology is to survive, and we will also talk about what in our theological traditions is worth keeping. Last November, Barry and I traveled to Utrecht to launch the European Radical Theology Network together with our friend Wouter. And we had a good first meeting with an opinionated group of people in which Barry, Peter, Rollins and I led a conversation on radical theology. By the end of it, we had a statement on radical theology that we will be using as we move that project forward so with these two projects techno theology and the european radical theology network being launched parallel to each other barry and i thought we'd kick off this podcast by talking about the statement on radical theology from
1: utrecht radical theology is an embrace of the deadlock in reality an openness to novelty and an affirmation of the lack at the heart of human existence. In our conversations in Utrecht, um, that was very much the whole deal, you know, a room full of people, all with slightly differing takes on what it might mean. And at different points in a particular relationship to, you know, a a couple of people there were fairly new to the idea of radical theology. Some of us have been around in that world for a long time or a longer time. And, uh, And I think for those of us who've been swimming in these waters for a while, our perspectives have changed anyway, as you hope they would based on you know more awareness, more information, more knowledge, more thinking, more thoughtfulness about um, how, how this stuff plays out. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what we were trying to get away from was the idea of some kind of uh, crystallized statement that had to be adhered to, and really kind of creating a space, a sort of atmosphere where lots of thinking can happen. Um, the times will be quite, quite different, but I think that has a lot to do with the fact that when we're talking about Europe, we're talking about many different contexts anyway. And even if you're in the same country, depending on where you are and what you're doing, um, how things manifest is gonna be different. What's the deadlocks that we experience as humans? <laughs> well, I mean, speaking from experience, um, I, I think you probably take the British election that as kind of a, a deadlock, really. I mean, e- even though one side won convincingly, uh, what what you kind of what we seem to be experiencing is this kind of um, roadblock in politics that doesn't allow business as usual to continue. And all, the, all of the um, previous mechanics and ways of doing things just don't work anymore. Even
0: Boris Johnson said the, the roadblock has been surpassed. We've moved forward now. So he believes that the deadlock has been broken.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's really true, actually. I, I think that's, that's what you say when you win a, an election, convincingly, but I think it needs to be seen. But I think really, you know, deadlock, um, the, the, well, I guess what I would say is it's really gets down also to the kind of the deadlocks that occur when we scapegoat and make excuses for um, scenarios that are no longer um, compatible to help people um, move forward in convincing ways in, 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 their, in their life. It's, it's easy to talk about scapegoating from a perspective
0: of poor people being scapegoated or the Jews being scapegoated and so on. But if you take that logic that lies beneath it and applies it on a situation we have people like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson and so on, and you rather scapegoat them, by doing so you... Create a reactive environment in which you live, breathe and think. And that environment in which you think it's limited by whatever it is that you react against. So you scapegoat Donald Trump. And by doing so, you also allow for his vision for America to determine what you are able to think or imagine about the future. And I think that is something that has moved me into a willingness to do this project because the american context is so caught up in that deadlock in that type of scapegoating donald trump scapegoating certain people in america and they in return (laughs) scapegoat him and they have that interplay going on but they're determined by each other and so by doing so you don't allow for novelty because novelty is something that in such an environment is always cut off because whatever is not on our side of the fence everything that's not recognizable will be seen as something that threatens our own position so we cut it off and by doing that we don't allow for the novelties of in our experience to actually break the deadlocks that we
1: find ourselves in yeah i mean again i i think the election here is another example because the the counter to boris johnson was a call to return essentially to a kind of old school socialist vision from uh, another era really i mean if you i mean that um, that's very broad but generally the 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 appeal was kind of to look back um and to kind of counter it with an old vision of socialism or whatever. And and the answer isn't an appeal to uh, what used to work, because it doesn't work either. No, the environment has shifted. The, the environment has shifted and, um, Uh, I mean, the results of the election kind of prove that on some level, given the fact that what they called the Red Wall in Britain, which was like the middle and the north of England that were traditionally labor for generations. You know, I mean, some seats were lost that have been labor since the 1930s, you know, almost the entire 20th century guaranteed like labor seats. But that world doesn't exist anymore. You know, and uh, I don't think the answer is necessarily in uh, the, the switch to uh, conservatism either, but I do think that uh, if you keep ping ponging between those notions, it's like in Christianity conservative, liberal, liberal, progressive, you know what I mean? But they're on the same continuum. There's nothing, it's not novel. It's not like here's another way of thinking about the current reality and here's another way of uh, of um viewing all of this or here's an idea that doesn't come from the past it's like um what what's his name that we saw in utrecht um Hovat. you know his book poetry in the future which is a, a marxist notion that he's taken and invited people you know the reader to kind of consider as a a, a sort of counter-apocalyptic view of how you might uh, move forward, not based on a kind of nihilistic or fatalistic view, like a lot of people oh my God, you know, there is no future, you know, it's all over and done with, or, oh God, you know, there's nothing we can do now, so just throw up your hands and and give up.
0: What we can see today is either on the one hand uh, something what Walter Benjamin called uh, the melancholy of the left, uh, like this kind of passivism, even a sort of resentment that things cannot get better, and basically what the left is doing is constantly criticizing and presenting a bleak, uh, a very dark future. And on the other hand, you have this kind of Utopianism, which mainly comes from Silicon Valley, all these Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk and guys uh, who are convincing us that by continuing this way of life, the capitalist way of life, uh, uh, we will uh, reach a bright future. I think we are already living in a very dystopian uh, uh, present, uh, so there is no reason for optimism, uh, but we need hope. He is an interesting character. I think we should try to bring him to our podcast sometime and talk to him about it because he was, I mean, he, he's been part of creating this new party in Europe for like a leftist party, but it's its trying to do something novel. And he's doing it with Yanis Varifakis, the uh, former financial minister of Greece and a few other people. And he's also connected to Julian Assange. And I think they're into, they're talking about interesting things and you know his public talk in Utrecht. It was, it wasn't the best thing I've ever heard. But then when we sat down and had a beer with him and a conversation, I think he actually have a few ideas about how socialism needs to change and have a new vision, which is lacking in in most of what I see in in leftist thinking today. It's so determined by whatever world it's opposing it's never setting the agenda and they're losing the voters from the working class the working people of europe are now
1: turning to nationalist populism yeah but you know it's i mean we were talking a little bit earlier i mean the idea i mean i'm not even sure what working class means anymore and i think most people don't even a lot of working class people don't view themselves as working class people. We live in an aspirational culture to some, to some degree. And, and the idea, you know, of the sort of traditional working class person, even though I, I think they probably exist more than ever. I mean, I think there's a working class more than there's ever been, but, um, uh, I don't think people see themselves that, that, that way. And, uh, The answer isn't to appeal to, you know, like the miners. (laughs) Well, they don't really exist in Britain anymore. So how can you talk about um, the sort of leftist miner, you you know what I mean, when they're working for Amazon or whomever in a zero-contract gig economy where everybody's hustling for um, trying to keep their head above water? You understand why uh, people... Throw off the old leftist thing, even though I don't think it's helpful to go the other way. But I guess that's what we're really trying to talk about in terms of both the context in which we're doing our theology, but also in theology itself, because I think there are similar dynamics going on in theological conversations. You know, we sort of, everybody moves from a conservative to a liberal or progressive position, but it's on the same continuum and there's nothing really new. And it's operating on ideas that I just don't think have the same cultural resonance anymore. We wanted to consider this notion of deadlock or or scapegoating that seems to be part of the um, current climate. and, And we wanted to kind of really affirm that our commitment wasn't to be progressive, but to the novel.
0: Why don't you want to be a progressive?
1: Why don't I want to be a progressive? Because I think progressive implies, well, obviously it implies progress, which on one level is kind of uh, an extension of existing notions. You know, it's a very modern and I think the, the original idea of a progress was when like a king used to go around the country and parade himself. I think that's what a progress really was. But now it's tied to kind of the modern world, you know, progress, we're moving forward. Things are, things are developing and, and they're developing out of other things. And for me, progressive Christianity is it's a sort of, it's an attempt to just inch along a continuum that I think is tired.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's why people who move from a more conservative type of Christianity moving to progressive Christianity, uh, basically deals with the same type of issues in their lives. There's really nothing new there. And even even if they turn their back on religion and move to progressive politics, pretty much the same i think that this the move from being a progressive christian to being a progressive leftist isn't huge
1: yeah and and, and, and usually it implies progressive usually implies a relaxation of uh attitudes towards social norms yeah usually there's nothing wrong with that but you know usually in it, it, it quite often is built around issues of um sexuality, gender, identity, or rights, or th- I, I think. You, you, know, you know what I mean? But usually it's like my conservative world doesn't allow me to embrace uh, this particular group of people, but I want to. So I'm going to um, become progressive. and And so you become more expansive sociologically. But theologically, the same the same paradigms are still at work. You're still dealing quite often with supernaturalist views of God and uh, a particular perspective on uh, confessional Christianity, I think. and So for me, it's more about um, jumping off that train track uh, into a different world. And when we're talking about novelty, like I said, I think it's worth sort of noting. The novelty is a philosophical idea. It's not like, oh, it's just new and shiny, you know, like a, a novelty toy you know that you buy for five five quid, and then you throw it away when it you know doesn't sparkle anymore. I mean, novelty is actually the 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 kind of hard work at the coal face of reality uh digging up new perspectives on uh the conditions in which we live.
0: I often talk about Berks and people who've followed my previous projects, like the catacombic machine knows how I often come back to his notion about the continuous creation of unforeseeable novelty. Yeah. And he says, it's something going on in the universe. Yeah. It's very hard to pinpoint what is the novel. That's not the statement. The statement is there is continuous creation of unforeseeable novelty. Yeah. If we act as humans naturally do, we will do our best in order to interpret whatever is novel in accordance with the framework which we already hold to and so whatever is novel will be interpreted into a framework or an ideology or a religious belief and be explained by it rather than having our whole understanding about everything being transformed And so that is what Bergson would call qualitative transformation rather than having, you know, you add something to what you already have, but his notion is more, it's, it's permeates everything. And so everything is transformed by it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we sort of said an openness to novelty. So part of it is um, putting yourself in the position where a, you're not frightened by the, the new, B, you're sort of expectant of it and C, you're willing to grapple with those ideas or concepts or theories or thoughts or issues. Nietzsche has
0: has a line where he says you need to be prepared for the unprepared. Yeah, exactly. And And so you need to be prepared to be transformed, to be challenged, to have things, ideas, flows of information or people or whatever come into your life and transform yeah. your whole worldview and i think to me that's something that radical theology opens up to and so it's in the statement uh, but traditional theology works with the given understanding about the world yeah. and so whatever happens in this world of flux that we inhabit will not transform the outer framework which is static yeah and radical theology collapses the two and is immanentist. it doesn't have a transcendent outside where true reality or actual reality resides while we are here trying to analogously participate in the divine life of whatever is love and good and beauty and so on and so it challenges that and i think what I've heard from you in our many conversations, there is a move away from that in in the Bible as well. The movement is towards the earth, not towards heaven.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, um, I don't know, have you read much um, Slow to Dyke? A little bit. No, he has that theory, you know, he, he, calls, um, he calls it vertical tension. And he talks about the fact that for a long, long time, people lived kind of um, with this, tension about how their lives um, were to be in relation to the above his argument is is that that has largely been abandoned and that vertical tension plays out kind of differently these days and it's not so much about an above as it you know so there's that collapsing And it's not like this, as you said, this external outside reality that's given and we're in the middle of it all, but rather we're living those tensions out um, on a more horizontal plane, I think, which is why in the the last bit of the statement, we we talk about this affirmation of lack at the heart of human existence. Because again, I I think um, one of the, the central things that separates, at least for me, in my own thinking, and I, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll put that under the radical theology uh, umbrella, is that that I that I think the the quest for fulfilment that drives so much of contemporary culture and contemporary Christianity, um, this presumption. That we're supposed to be whole in a particular way. Um, and that somehow we achieve some kind of balanced sense of ourselves where suddenly everything all makes sense. That to me is just folly. And um, I, I, you know, the, I mean, lack is. Uh, you know, it's a Lacanian, Freudian idea. But I also think it's um, a, a, a theological one as well. And, and for us, it, it means that the contingency and, and finitude and uh, the chaos of existence are, are not necessarily there to be eradicated, but actually are the stuff by which we actually find out what it means to be human and 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 how to live so so i think for me that 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 was one of the things that that i really wanted to um kind of uh address because i i, I see so much drive in people to get fixed and and of course working on your life and coming to terms with who you are all those things i, I think those those are. Um, important opportunities to take if you're privileged as we are to live in the part of the world where you have the opportunity not to be purely survivalist about existence. Um, but by the same token, um, I, I, I think it's very important to kind of continually affirm that a life isn't necessarily meant to be about achieving some kind of uh, wholeness.
0: There's also, I think, a new challenge then because in in a more traditional Christian framework, you have something to strive for, you have a goal, you have an aim, you want to go somewhere. And you have people who are certain about things who tell you where to go and they have answers to your questions and they might relieve you of angst in certain situations, and there's comfort when people die, and there's explanations when there's wars, and suddenly you're alone in the desert, and there's no structures holding you, and there's nothing to hold on And that, I think, is not a comfortable position to be in for most people.
1: Yeah, and that's a perennial theological Uh, issue that goes all the way back to the the children of israel (laughs) um in the exodus i mean because what do they want to do they go into the desert they're on their way to the promised land but they never get there and so what they want to do is they want to go back to egypt (laughs) (laughs) where apparently there's wholeness because they get onions and bread but they forget that they also were uh tramping on straw and mud making bricks under the tyranny of uh, oppressors but um that illusion that you that you can have a a sort of a security about life, and that religion is meant to provide that, um, I, I, I think that's problematic in the fluid world in which we find ourselves.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's not it's not a way of looking at things that will hold up in the future because things are changing so dramatically, and you have. I mean when we talk about what this podcast will be about, the the environment in which theology is to survive. Yeah. It's it's not just saying, well, we want to move away from these previous structures yeah. and into something new, whatever. It's also saying that these old structures they're already crumbling. And I think you can see that both in religion and in politics and in media and in Whatever area of life you want to look at, because the emergence of the internet has transformed the landscape in which we live so dramatically, and we've already only seen the the beginning of it. Yeah, things will change much, much more, and and I think that is sort of what this conversation should focus on. Yeah, very much.
1: I mean, I think it's very much a case that those ideas and many other ideas used to hold the world in place. So I'm not dismissive of them just out of some random, oh, I don't like those ideas. It's more a case that they held a certain world in a certain place for a certain period of time, quite a long period of time, some of those ideas. But in our time, there's been such dramatic overhaul of the nature of uh, reality and the nature of the existence that those ideas just really, really um, don't hold water anymore. And you keep, you see it on, on every level. Again, politics, economics, uh, sociology, uh, science. I mean, everything is in a, in a, in a state of um, re- rethinking and reframing very closely and tightly and tenderly held ideas that gave people um, support, nurture, or, or, or whatever at one point in time, but they don't anymore. Now they're quite often, they're more of a burden than they are a freedom.
0: Yeah. And so if you return to the British election and the more conservative, the, the rise of conservatism, in Europe panels yeah. around the world, it's a symptom of this. Yeah. Because that's returning to Egypt.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, there's this wave of kind of, um, I, I, I call it bangers and mash sovereignty, this idea that Britain's going to somehow reclaim its Britishness by leaving Europe and we're going to, being in charge of our own laws and we're going to do this and we're going to make our own deals and we're not going to be tied to europe and all that stuff and and look what's happened i mean we'll be lucky if there is a a, a britain within the next decade i mean scotland wants another referendum uh who knows what's going to happen with northern ireland post post brexit you know you know what i mean um the welsh are quiet but you know there's stuff happening there, and, and this this whole idea of um, oh, national sovereignty as a as a way forward, I, I it's just reactive and um, I don't know, you know. So yeah,
0: I think I think the 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 emphasis on the nation state. Yeah, um, I think in short term it might be. Necessary because it's still where power resides in politics. Uh, Obviously, the European Union is the power of the European Union is based on the power of the nation state. And as Brexit shows, the European Union is in the hands of the willingness of the European people to remain in, 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 in the European Union. And so, when you look at what challenges uh, from the future, so to speak, with the algorithms uh, controlling our lives and how you can see in China a credit system being implemented, controlling the lives of people, also demanded to be internalized in your behavior. If if that is the future, if the nation state falls too fast, that might be an issue. I don't think you can look to the nation state as a long-term hope But if the nation state collapses too fast, we might be in even more troublesome times than we are at the moment, because now there's still the possibility of fighting back against our digital overlords. With no nation state, we're
1: totally in their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, that again, that's part of Horvath's project is kind of transnational politics, which I think is a novel idea. and. I I resonate with it, I think, but I think it's a way off. I I could be wrong, but yeah, I mean, and it would seem that this kind of global nationalist movement um, would be uh, a a kind of symptom of of lots of things. And, you know, and and I mean, I I, I should probably say this. I'm pro, I'm... Pro Europe, pro Remain, for for many reasons. But I don't have rose-coloured glasses on about Europe either. I think um, I think the whole European Union, uh, in and of itself, needs work. I just think that uh, there was something great about uh, the kind of borderless world they were trying to make, um, and, and I'm sad that that's something that that Britain is losing uh, association. Association with, but um, in general, I, I I think that on both sides of the equation, novelty is what's called for. I mean, just to come back to earth and again, the same, the same with uh, theology. Wh- wherever anybody's working, and um, whatever side of the spectrum they find themselves, um, I'm I'm no more pro-liberal or progressive than I am anti-fundamentalist and conservative. I feel the same about all of it, and
0: I think that's the the importance with, with what I said about the nation state. It's a different thing, thing to see that the old structures have value because they're what we have in the moment and we need something to remake things. We can't start from nothing. And so when we said the other side of what we're going to do with this podcast is to have a conversation about what in Christianity is worth keeping, what what will hold in in the world to come. And you know i think that's the conversation that we need to have perhaps both in politics and in religion yeah because um with the environment shifting we can't just return to egypt and say well this wasn't as bad as being stranded in the desert yeah. even egypt will not be the same Listening to our first episode of Techno Theology Podcast. If you want to help us out, please share this episode on your social media feeds, rate us on iTunes, and whatever you do to spread the word. We are also on social media. We're on Twitter. Our handle is at Theology Techno, and on Instagram, we are Techno Theology. And we want to send our special thanks to Jonathan Beckley, our very good friend, who has provided us with this music. He can be found on iTunes. He's Theologen, which means the theologian in Swedish. Uh, He's a good guy, so listen to his music. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.